Hello, people of the way. This is our um, online sermon. So um, when we have these online sermons, we're just going to jump in the Word. So uh, make sure you're prayed up. Make sure you uh, say a prayer uh, before and after, you know, if, 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 if you're willing. Um, but, uh, you know, we're, we're, we pray for you guys, too. And uh, we just want to make sure that before the Word goes forth that, you know, hearts are... Uh, um, hearts are uh, where they need to be and uh, that our hearts can be circumcised unto the Lord uh, ears to hear what the Spirit would have us hear so uh, we're going to have these online sermons they might, they might be more frequent than not so uh, make sure you're prayed up especially before hearing the word just that we can uh, uh, quiet our hearts and quiet our minds and you know this uh, every time that this, these uh, are uploaded that uh, before these there's always a period of time where we're in prayer and you know, and I'm in prayer too, and uh, just uh, making sure that the hearers, all the hearers of these messages, uh, will uh, that the word will take root in their hearts. So just moving forward, keep that in mind. Uh, so if you haven't, if you have, if you're not prayed up, just hit pause, say a prayer, and then hit play, and we'll get down to business. So if um, you have your Bible with you, uh, turn to Exodus 34. Exodus 34. And if you remember last week when we had this, uh, we started in chapter 34, but it is a brand new set of tablets that the Lord is going to give that, that the Lord instructed Moses. If you remember in verse two, the Lord told him, he said, be ready. He told Moses to have that state of readiness, a mindset of readiness. And uh, it was so cool because you know, um, the Lord gave them the command, okay, now come up to the mountain. And then in verse 5, we see the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with them there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. You see this beautiful intimacy that Moses has with God. It's not just, you know, it, it's it, it's it's beautiful, the intimacy that he has, uh, but it's the, 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 the benefactors, so to speak. Of course, you know, Moses is a benefactor, but the benefactors included with that are the people. Remember that the law was given three times. This is the third time. The first time was the spoken word. We see that in Exodus chapter 20. Uh, that's when the people told, told Moses, you know, you hear me reference this a lot because uh, it, it's kind of indicative of the carnal nature where, you know, in, in Exodus chapter 20, verse, um, verse 19, you know, the people were so eager to hear from the Lord. But then finally, when the Lord, I shouldn't say it like that, but when they finally heard of the Lord, the very thing that they desired, uh, it says in verse 18, the people witnessed all the thunderings, lightning flash. This is in Exodus 20, verse 18. Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the la- the, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet and the, 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 the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. They got exactly what they wanted, but they weren't ready for it. They weren't ready for him. They weren't ready for the Lord. They weren't ready for his, his voice. And so all of a sudden they they told Moses in verse nineteen. Then they then they said to Moses, "You speak with us, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die." And I think that's so powerful because he, especially considering what Moses tells them in the next verse. And Moses said to the people, "Do not fear." For God has come to test you or uh, to put you to the test or to prove you and that his fear may be before you so that you may not sin. 
And it says in verse 21, the people stood afar off. It's very interesting, the beauty of the fear of the Lord. You know, it's like the, you hear me reference quite a bit, the, the gas pedal and the brake pedal. You know, you have the love of the Lord, beautiful thing. Consider that the gas pedal. You know, the love of the Lord is a, a motivator to move forward and, you know, partake in certain things and do certain things and in obedience to the Lord. But then at the same time, you know, you have a break too. You slam on the brakes sometimes. Sometimes you slowly hit the brakes and that's the fear of the Lord because, you know, you don't want to, in obedience to the Lord as well, you don't want to go against his word. It's very important for this day and age that we live in is you see people falling left and right. You see people falling all over the place. People who were strong believers and then all of a sudden they're going back to the drugs, going back to the sex, going back to the alcohol. They're doing all kinds of crazy things because, you know, I don't question their love of the Lord. And I guess in a sense I kind of do. But what I do put in question is their fear of the Lord. Where is the fear of the Lord? Where, you know, it's like, you know, Satan whispers in your ears, hey, turn left, turn right. And you're in obedience to the Lord. You're like, no way, I'm not going to listen to that voice. I did before in the past, but that was my old self. I'm a new creation in Christ. And then all of a sudden, nobody hits the brake pedal. Nobody slams on the brakes. And you see people having sex, doing their drugs, doing their alcohol. You know, and I mean like, you know, the sinful sex. You know, there's the good kind too, but you know, the sinful ones. People doing all kinds of crazy things, you know. And it blows me away so much because this is the, the first time the law is given. And the people told Moses, Moses, you know what? You you listen to God and we'll do what you say. You, you, uh, you speak with us and, and we will hear, they tell him, but let not God speak with us lest we die. That's the first set of law, the spoken word. And then all of a sudden, the tablets, the Lord gave Moses the tablets. But when Moses came down from the bottom of the mountain, what did he see? He saw the golden calf, all kinds of sick, disgusting things. The influence of other cultures, the influence of other gods. And then finally Israel was like, hey, we want a God. We want a God. We don't know what happened to Moses. He's up in the mountain. He's been there for 20 days, 30 days. That's the 40th day, 40, 40 nights have passed. We don't know what happened to him. So Moses, make us another God. Or, or Aaron, they said, Aaron, make us another God. Very interesting, you know, and then, you know, at the same time, you know, Moses was mad. Moses was mad at Aaron. In, in chapter 32, verse 21, he tells Aaron and Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought so great a sin upon them? Very interesting, very strong message for pastors and elders and church leadership. That the behavior of these leaders what it could lead to in the people. It can lead to bad things. It can lead to good things. It can lead to bad things. You know, if a pastor starts saying, oh yeah, it's okay. Go ahead and do your sex. Go ahead and do your drugs. Go ahead and do your alcohol. Go ahead and, you know, taste of the earth. Have your fill. It's okay to do those things. Go ahead and go to the bars. Go to the clubs. Get drunk. Get home. Beat on your wife. You know, and then, you know, tomorrow's church. It's no big deal. It's not good. It's not good at all. And Moses, you know, he puts Aaron to, he calls them on it. What did these people do to you that you've brought so great a sin upon them? And then, you know, it, it's such a trip. You know, it's, uh, uh, Aaron starts to make excuses. 
in verse 24 of chapter 32, whoever has any gold, let him break it off. So they gave it to me and I cast it into the fire and this calf came out. He made excuses. But then you look at the same chapter in verse four and he straight up fashioned it. He took their gold and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded, molded calf. Because Aaron, what happened at this particular point in chapter 32, he feared the people and didn't fear God. Let this be an example for all of us. Never fear people. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so after the golden calf event, you know, there was, I shouldn't, I shouldn't just, you know, gloss over it like it's just, okay, the golden calf happened. Because there were a lot of people who were killed. The Lord, the, the Lord told Moses, okay, separate the people. And there were people that says, okay, you know, Moses, you know, he's, he's, uh, you know, he thinks he's with God. We're going to do our own thing. And God says, no, Moses is my guy. He's instructing you. I want to instruct you, but you know, you don't want to hear me. It's such a trip how the Lord works, you know, Old Testament, New Testament. That's what's so beautiful about his word. You know, and this is the third time that the law is given because the Lord tells Moses, hey, go up in the mountain. I'm going to give you the new law and or not the new law, it's the, the law. But now it has certain additives. And I don't mean to say additives in the a disrespectful way. I mean additives in a very beautiful way because this is the third time and these additives point to Christ, point to Jesus Christ. Remember the Pharisees? They were like, oh, you know, we're hardcore. We follow Moses. We don't think what we don't believe what you have to say. And they say he came to change the law. And Jesus responded. He says, I didn't come to do I didn't, I'm not doing away with the law. He says, I did not come to do away with the law. I came to fulfill the law and the prophets. It's the two merging together. And that's what's so beautiful about this passage in the law. I'm not advocating the law, but that's what's so beautiful. You see the merging of these events, these feasts, the sacrifice in conjunction with the law. And then that's when the Lord can be with the people. Because he told the people, you know, in, in chapter 33, Verse three, go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. Stiff-necked people. Stubbornness with the Lord. You know where it's like, okay, I want my way. Yeah, you know, I have these carnal passions. I want my way. And I know the Bible says this, but I'm going to do it anyway. It's not good. Not good at all. Now there's the good side of being stubborn with the Lord too. I shouldn't say it that way. I should say stubborn with people and being, you know, uh, circumcised unto the Lord. Because, you know, people are going to want to pull you all kinds of different directions. They want to pull you left. They want to pull you right. They want you to stop. They want you to do this. They want you to turn backward. And it's like, no, I'm sold out to Jesus Christ. I don't care what you have to say. Let God be true and every man a liar. That's what Paul says. Beautiful, beautiful brother Paul. And so in continuation of our study from last week, he says in verse 17, you shall make no molded gods for yourself. This is in Exodus 34. No molded gods for yourself. No idolatry. Remember, God is a jealous God. 
jealous, God. You talk to non-believers and mockers and they say, hey, you know, God is a jealous God. What is that? Me personally, I love the fact that he's a jealous God. I love it so much. He does not want to share you with anybody. He does not want to share you. He wants your heart. He doesn't want to share you with Buddha. He doesn't want to share you with, you know, uh, the Hindu Vedas. He doesn't want to share you with uh, the Virgin Mary. He doesn't want to share you because he is yours and you are his. That's what's so beautiful about the marriage, the marriage with the lamb, which isn't yet happened. It's going to happen. But the question is, you know, are we betrothed unto him? I would argue yes, but I can only answer for myself. Are we betrothed to Jesus Christ? Are you betrothed to Jesus Christ? A husband gets on his knees, says, hey, baby, will you marry me? And the bride or the, um, what do you call it? The girl who's going to be a bride? I don't know what you call it. I forgot. Um, the girl, she says yes or she says no. And that's what's so cool when we're propositioned with this beautiful question. Do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the son of the most high God? The soon coming king. You say yes. Praise be unto the Lord. Praise be unto the Lord. You are betrothed to the marriage. And then there's the, you know, the exhortation, hey, stay pure. You know, you're engaged to be married. Stay pure. And that's what the writers of all of Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament. And so there's that proposition, hey, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of Most High God? You say, mm, I don't know. No, I don't believe that. Yes, it's sad, but then at the same time, there's always tomorrow. I used to not believe in Jesus Christ. And look what happened. You know, there's always tomorrow. Always tomorrow. Never lose hope. Never, ever, ever lose hope. A dumb Calvinist would say, uh, 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 um, oh, you're predestined for hell. That's what a dumb Calvinist would say. But when you read the Bible... It's so beautiful because, you know, all these events in life that can bring a person to humility, male, female, young, old, it doesn't matter. All these events in life that will bring a person to humility. And when the soft is hard again, it's like, wow, you know what? I do believe. I do believe. I mean, we're gonna, we haven't really touched on Saul. We touched on Saul a little bit on Sunday. Uh, Saul in the New Testament. You know, who he was out to kill Christians. And then, you know, you see, you read, turn a couple pages, keep reading, and you see what the Lord has done in his life. And 2,000 years later, the church today is still being encouraged by the writings of Paul, formerly Saul. How beautiful this is. You know, I shouldn't give so much credit to, to Paul, but I do give credit to Jesus Christ. As an example of what he can do inside of your life. And so the Lord says, you shall make no molded gods for yourself. Verse 18, the feast of unleavened bread you shall keep. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread as, a command, as I commanded you in the appointed time of the month of Abib. For in the month of Abib you came out from 
Egypt. You know, what's so beautiful is that, you know, remember the Lord who brought you out of bondage. That's what this exhortation is for the people. Remember the Lord. Remember the hand of the Lord in your life. God is telling it to Moses to tell to the people. And you know what? God is saying it to you and me today. Remember the Lord who brought you out of bondage. Don't forget. Remember his hand. A huge, huge problem is when the Lord becomes forgotten. The Lord can rescue a person out of any situation. Any situation. Sex, drugs, alcohol, the whole nine yards. Except what happens when the Lord is forgotten? You know, those demons come back. Those demons come back. And if that person, that vessel is out on vacation, you know, as we studied in, in our study in the book of uh, uh, Matthew. If that believer has a mindset of, okay, it's not really a battlefield, you know. I don't need to train up. I don't need to be equipped. I'm just going to, you know, uh, do whatever. You know, once saved, always saved. You know, I read the, you know, whatever study Bible. And he says, once saved, always saved. So I'm good to go. Those demons come back. And when that person, when that vessel is not a warrior, doesn't know how to hold the shield, doesn't know how to use the sword, doesn't wear the breastplate or the helmet, the Lord becomes a forgotten thing. And it's like, wow, I'm going to go back to my sex. I'm going to go back to my drugs. I'm going to go back to my alcohol. Oh, but once saved, always saved. It's okay. I'm good to go. You see, it doesn't work that way. And the Lord is saying, hey, remember these things. And what's so beautiful is you remember in our study in, uh, in chapter 12, in chapter 12, verse 2, he says, this is the new beginning. It's like saying, you know, like January is the first of the month. And if you're in bondage and you're in bondage on, uh, uh, in, on June 30th, and then you're, you're in bondage on July 3rd, and then all of a sudden you believe in the Lord at the night of July 3rd. You wake up on July 4th, the 4th of July. And the Lord is saying, hey, the 4th of July, it's now your January 1st. It's a brand new start. A brand new start. A beginning of months. You see, it's beautiful. That's what the Lord tells the people in chapter 12, verse 2 of Exodus. It's a brand new Fresh start out of bondage. Very important here because, you know, this the feast of unleavened bread. Remember, as new covenant believers, I don't want to, you know, as much as I'm lifting up the law. Yeah, you know, I guess I'm lifting up the law to a certain degree, but not lifting up. I'm lifting up the law only to the degree of how it points to Jesus Christ. Not saying that I'm advocating the law and saying, hey, let's start partaking of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. No way. But remember what the bread is symbolic of. Turn with me really quick to John chapter 6. John 6. John 6. And in verse 48... Red letters in my Bible and quite possibly yours as well. 
In John 6 here, verse 48, he says, I am the bread of life. So all these passages, you know, you see the manna in heaven. You see the manna that came down from heaven. And then at the same time, you see these feasts of the bread or or, uh, uh, um, the feasts of unleavened bread. And remember, it's all symbolic of Jesus Christ. It points to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ didn't come to do away with the law. He came to fulfill the law because these feasts, these festivals, they point to Jesus Christ. He says in verse 48 of John 6, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world, or which I shall give for the life of the world. You know, and it blows me away because he's in verse 42, it says they started to fight. They started to fight and they were thinking like, is he talking about cannibalism? What do you mean? I can't eat him. He's advocating Cal- uh, 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 Calvinism. <laughs> he's advocating cannibalism. And then Jesus Christ spoke again in verse 53. Uh, He says, then Jesus said to them, most assuredly or verily, verily, some translations say, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. There's no profit. There's no profit of not consuming his flesh or drinking his blood, it profits man not. It's much deeper than the the elements that we see. It's much deeper than the elements that we see in the Old Testament and what we're reading in Exodus. It's much deeper than what what we're going to read in Chronicles. Much deeper. It's not just the act of, okay, yeah, you know, I'm gonna, it's not the law. In the fulfillment of the law, it's much deeper. It's to say, you know, this is the word of God and I'm going to consume every jot and every tittle of these words. Make the pages white. If yet, you know, the pages of my Bible are white. Make them white. Every letter, every jot, every tittle, make them come off the page. You know, they go into your eye sockets and let them go right down into your heart and consume him. He says in verse 54, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day. The last day, which me personally, I believe is coming soon. Very soon. Surprisingly soon to a lot of people who aren't ready for the events of the last days. What we read about in the book of Revelation. Ill-equipped. Ill-equipped, not ready. Like the Lord told Moses, hey, be ready. Be in a state of readiness. And what is the church today? Sound asleep. Sound asleep. He says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed. And my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. See, it's. It goes two ways. It's not just, hey, I'm going to abide in Christ. You know, you, you, you have these, you know, like these thoughts. Okay, you know, I'm going to abide in Christ. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's not, I'm not, 
you know, speaking, uh, you know, uh, negatively about that concept. It's a beautiful concept, but it goes two ways. The Lord says, you know, you say I abide in you, Lord. And the Lord says, okay, I'm going to abide in you. It's the two becoming one, you becoming one with Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ becoming one with you. It's very deep. It's not just, you know, remember we, we had our study on Sunday. It's much deeper than religion. Religion doesn't save anybody. Remember the Holy Spirit fell on the people except he skipped one person because he knew his heart. His heart wasn't right with God. Yeah, he was amongst the believers. Yeah, he believed in Jesus Christ, but there was something else going on in his heart. That's the danger of not being transformed, the danger of not consuming. You know, you, you hear me talk and mention these scriptures about, hey, consume these words. Take the pages of these words, the, 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 this word, make the pages white, consume it all. The danger of not doing that was what we read on Sunday. The, the, the Holy Spirit skipped Simon. Why did he skip Simon? We read further in Acts 8. And it identifies why. Because his heart wasn't right with the Lord. Notice, Philip did his job. When in our study in the book of Acts, Philip did his job. He did what, in obedience to the Lord, he did exactly what the Lord wanted him to do. Peter, John, they did exactly what the Lord wanted him to do, what wanted them to do. They were obedient. But the Lord knows the heart of men. And the Holy Spirit skipped over Simon. It's much deeper than textbook knowledge. Like you go to college, you talk to a, a business professor. But then you leave college Go to the gas station, you talk to the workers, the worker says, okay, that's my manager. You go talk to the manager and the manager says, oh, okay, here's the owner. You talk to the owner and you find out the owner owns 10 gas stations. Can barely speak English. Never been to college. And you see, wow, this business guy can teach you a lot more than what you learn in business school. Textbook knowledge. Because you have, you know, the business guy is actually doing it. Successful. And I'm not advocating, you know, business success. It, I mean, that's good too. But then at the same time, it's like, wait a second, you know, it, it's it's where the word becomes flesh and we consume his flesh. Remember the, 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 the religious leaders, they thought, man, he's talking about cannibalism. Because they were blind to the things that he was speaking. He was speaking supernaturally. In verse 57, he says, as the living father sent me and I live because of the father. So he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. It's beautiful. He's not speaking in the carnal nature. He's speaking to those who have ears to hear. So as we look at the law, going back to Exodus now, as we look at the law, and you hear me talk about, you know, you hear me mention, okay, you, you know, I'm lifting up the law. I guess in a sense, I am lifting up the law to a certain degree. Not that we partake of the law and do the law. Remember, the law was created with loopholes. 
And the law also brings death. That's what Paul teaches us in Romans. The law brings death. But the realization, what I love about the law, is the realization of, I have broken the law. The realization of, I need a savior. I have broken the law and I'm in trouble. That's the beauty of the law. That's the power of the law. Remember, the Lord teaches us the law is a schoolmaster, like a tutor, to bring us back to Jesus Christ. To, you know, the Holy Spirit uses the law as a tool for conviction to bring us to Jesus Christ, where we need to be and abiding in Christ under grace, under mercy, and under love. So going back to Exodus verse 34. This feast of unleavened bread in verse 18. And so he says in verse 19, all that open the womb are mine. I, um, you hear me say quite a bit, I don't want a Lord over anybody's faith. But if you have a highlighter or a pen, a marker, highlight that. All that open the womb are mine, especially parents. You hear parents say all the time, oh, my kids, my kids, my kids, my kids. Yes, they're your kids, but put a little asterisk next to that. And then remember the fine print. Yes, they're your kids. And then look at the fine print. And the fine print is this. They're on loan to you from God. I don't want to hurt anybody's hearts when I say it that way but they're on loan he wants them back and I don't want to sound like a parent is a glorified babysitter but it's almost like a long term babysitter at 18 it's like wow you know I've done my job I'm sending my baby girl out into the world my son he's a little liberal I'm sending him out at age you know, 23. Here, Lord, I give them to you. You have to let go. Parents have to let go. As difficult at that as that is. All that open the womb are mine. They belong to the Lord. He formed them. He's the one that formed them, put them together. The sinews, everything. The tendons. He wants them back. And I don't mean to freak anybody out by saying it that way. But he does want them back. Malachi chapter 2 verse 15. He wants godly offspring. To me, I hear that. You know, I'm not a parent. But if I were a parent, it's like, man, that's like, I only got 18 years with my baby girl. I only got 18 years with, you know, my other baby girl. Or, you know, I'm going to raise a little liberal. I got 28 years with my baby girl. That's kind of too long. But I want to uh, <laughs> appeal to the generation. <laughs> All that open the womb are mine. God wants them back. 
He says, and every male firstborn among your livestock, whether ox or sheep. He's, you know, people say, oh, he's talking about animals. Yeah, he's talking about animals. But, you know, people are coming. Hold on. We're going to read a little couple more verses. All that open to the womb are mine, he says. Every male firstborn among your livestock, whether ox or sheep, but the firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. This is a big verse right here. A big part of this verse. But the firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. Remember our study in the book of Matthew. There was a certain event. <clears throat> and, you know, the heading in my Bible calls it the triumphal entry. The teachers of the law, the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, with their very own eyes, they should have seen and understood two donkeys. They should have seen two donkeys. Mama donkey and baby donkey. And Jesus Christ is riding on the baby donkey. They should have pieced it all together. And what do they see? You see the mama donkey, the baby donkey, and then what's on the baby donkey's back? A lamb. A lamb. But they were blind. The firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. It blows me away so much. Because just as there were blind guides 2,000 years ago, give or take a couple years, there are blind guides today. And the Bible teaches if both are blind, if the, if the followers are blind, the teachers are blind, both will fall into a ditch. The religious establishment. It's not about religion at all. That's why I love John the Baptist so much. John the Baptist, what a beautiful, beautiful man. How much he's poured into his disciples, his students. And then Jesus Christ comes, they say, teacher, what do we do? Do we follow you? Do we follow him? And then John the Baptist says, you know what, guys? I love you, but I must decrease. And he must increase. He says, guys, I love you. And in that love, go to him. Go to Jesus Christ. Go to Jesus Christ. That's what's so beautiful about John, among other things. He was bold, you know. He's so bold. He called Herod out on his sin. It cost him his life. We're going to see him one day. In verse 20, And if you will not redeem him, then you shall break his neck. You see, God desires redemption. That's what he desires. He desires redemption. All the firstborn of your sons. Okay, now we're on humans. Now we're on people. So verse 19, you say, you see, he's talking about animals. Slow your roll. It's about people. All the firstborn of your sons you shall redeem, and none shall, none shall appear before me empty-handed. An offering to the Lord. I'm not talking about money. But what about a heart that's rendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Lord, I have nothing to offer you. My bank account is dwindled down to zero. I have nothing to offer you. And Paul says, you know what? 
Let your heart be rendered to, to God. Surrender your life. Surrender your heart a living sacrifice. That's what's so cool about, you know, when you have this concept of, uh, you know, parents always say, oh, these are my kids, my baby girl, my son, these are them. And then, you know, they, they grasp onto them so hard. And then the kid starts to realize, wow, you know, my parents are grasping onto me so hard. I'm going to grasp onto them too. Then a kid who's 20, 22, 27, 28, 29, 30, 40. They've never learned to let go and trust in the Lord. That's when the error of decades of teaching a child starts to be harmful. Kids who never leave home. As painful as it is, the concept of letting go. Remember that he wants them back. He formed them physically in the mother's womb. And he's going to form them spiritually. And what's beautiful about parenting is that parents are partakers of these things. Forming a child spiritually, training them up in the way he or she should go. Equipping them for the times. We live in crazy times. You know, uh, um, kindergartners. In sex education, kindergartners, where, you know, you have a kid watches, uh, what's that movie? Uh, Frozen, starts singing songs. And then there was the mom in Texas who says, oh, yeah, he's singing Frozen. So he wants to be a girl now. It's crazy talk. But then now in kindergarten age kids, these are things that are going to be promoted. Sex education according to the learned class. According to the ways of the world. And train your kids. Be partakers of the spiritual forming. And then one day, it's like, wow, my baby girl says she wants to, you know, believe in Jesus. She wants to receive Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. And she is, you know, 10-year-old girl, 9-year-old girl, 13-year-old girl. Or she might be 40 years, old, 40 years old. You have a little son. You know, Lord willing, it'll be like 10 years old, maybe earlier. Well, who knows? Redeem the times. So beautiful here. And you know, it says, none shall appear before me empty-handed and offering to the Lord. An offering to the Lord. I'm not talking about money, but a heart. What about a son, you know, like a 20-year-old? He says, man, you know, my dad, he used to pray all the time. And I used to see him like this. And then as the son gets married, it's like, wow, I'm going to do the same for my wife. I'm going to do the same for my kids. You know, the influence that a mom and dad can have on their kids. It's beautiful. If you hear noises in the background, that's Gabby. She just woke up and she's kind of uh, staring at me. But uh, she's here too. Uh, in verse 21, six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. In plowing time and in harvest you shall rest. It's the Sabbath. Remember, these are people who are out of bondage. 400 years of work, 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 work as slaves. And the Lord is telling them, hey, there's a day of rest. 
You know what's interesting about this Exodus 34, these laws that are given with these, uh, 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 the Feast of Unleavened Bread? And the focus on redemption. Look at the time frame of the triumphal entry. When Jesus, uh, Jesus came riding on a donkey. Think of the time frame. It was Passover week. Passover week. All these things, the, the feasts, the, the, it all points to Jesus Christ. And at the triumphal triumphal entry, look at what you have. The religious leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, they should have fallen on their faces before the Lord. Hosanna. It should have been a real Hosanna, Hosanna. But it was a carnal Hosanna. They were like, yeah, save now, save now. Here's the king. Here's the Messiah. He's going to free us from, the, uh, from Rome. But no, it didn't work that way. Less than a week later, they're shouting out, crucify him. You see, all these things of the old point to the new, point to Jesus Christ. And so he says in verse 22, and you shall observe the feast of weeks of the first of the uh, of the first fruits of wheat harvest and the feast of ingathering at the year's end. These additives, you know, I don't mean disrespect to call it additives, but these additives or these feasts. Remember, they're given before the law. You say, what do you mean before before the law? Well, when you read like Exodus 12, Exodus 13, the feast, the Passover, these are things that were given to Israel before Exodus 20, before the law. Very, very interesting. Turn with me to Galatians 4 really quick. Galatians 4. <clears throat> In Galatians 4, verse 9, Paul is writing to a church that were, you know, they were a Hebrew roots church. They wanted to go back to the law. They wanted to go back to so-called Hebrew roots. And Paul calls them on it. In Galatians 4 verse 9, he says, But now after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it? How is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? So in the law, as much as we're looking at the... Uh, 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 the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks and the uh, Wheat Harvest and the Feast of Ingathering. As much as we're looking at those things, remember Paul, a Pharisee of Pharisees, who's referring to these things as the weak and beggarly elements. Because remember, they point to Jesus Christ. They point to Jesus Christ. It's like you hear me say sometimes, you know, if we're going to take a church trip to, to Disneyland, you know, it's empty. The virus, you know, it's empty now. First class uh, flight, 20 bucks. Get a, a first class flight, you know, a month later, you're dead. You know, it blows me away. So it's like, say we take a church trip, you know, to Disneyland. This is before the virus. So we take a church trip to Disneyland. And so we're all excited. You know, we get a bus. We rent a bus. 
And it's like, wow, we're all excited. You know, we're driving down the grapevine. We go through L.A. We get, you know, you see the signs for Santa Ana. And, you know, we go through Orange County. And you start to see the signs, Disneyland. And then we get in the parking lot. And we're at the bus. We, we park the bus. We're in the parking lot of Disneyland. We get out of the bus. And it's like, wow, we've arrived. This is so cool. But we don't go inside the gate. We don't enter Disneyland. It's like, we're not even... Yeah, we're, we're like at the gate of Disneyland, but we haven't even stepped through. We haven't even gone through the door, so to speak. On purpose, I say it that way. Because remember, Jesus Christ says, I am the door. I am the gate. Thieves and robbers come in another way. And when they're found out, they're going to be kicked out. All these things point to Jesus Christ. And Paul says... How is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? It's like, well, you know, we're free from bondage and we go back to the law. It's like you're bringing bondage in again. You observe days and months and seasons and years. It's the feasts and the festivals. He says, I'm afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. This is Paul's exhortation to a church that wants to return to the law. He says, my little children, for in verse 19, he says, my little children for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. I would like to be present with you now and to change my tone. I wonder what that tone would be. You know, so many people, oh, you know, don't say it that way. You're so mean. Don't say it like that. I don't, you got to say it nicely or don't even say it at all. You know, if you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. Well, people have weird interpretations of what nice is. Yeah, go, go ahead and beat on your wife. Go ahead and cheat on your wife. I don't want to call you it. I don't, I don't want to hurt your little feelers. Look at verse 16. Paul says, have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? That's a hardcore question. Have I become your enemy because all I'm doing is telling you the truth? And Paul says in verse 19, My little children for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed to you, I would like to be present with you now and to change my tone, for I have doubts about you. Tell me, you who desire, desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? They wanted the letter of the law and to go back to the letter of the law. But the spirit of the law, it's an entirely different frequency. You have to have ears to hear. Remember, in the previous chapter, in chapter, two previous chapters, Galatians chapter 2, verse 21. If righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Jesus Christ died for nothing. That's if, if righteousness comes through the law. Righteousness can't come through the law. It's impossible. It points to Jesus Christ. Remember you say like, well, what about all the people in the law? Are you saying that they don't, they, they didn't have righteousness? No, they had faith. Remember Abraham? 
It was accounted to Abraham because of his obedience. It was accounted unto Abraham for righteousness sake because of obedience. Righteousness doesn't come through the law. You talk to mockers. You talk to the so-called learned people. Say, oh, does that mean that, you know, all these people in the Old Testament, that none were righteous? None of them were righteous? It was obedience and their faith. Just as we're told, it was accounted unto Abraham for righteousness because of his obedience and his faith. See? You start to read the Bible and, you know, the Lord will reveal these things. And so look what happens going back to uh, Exodus chapter 34. These additives in verse 22. And you shall observe the feast of weeks of the first fruits of the wheat harvest and the feast of ingathering at the year's end. So these additives, they all point to Jesus Christ. But in accordance with the book of Exodus, they were given in, in, in Exodus 12, Exodus 13. They were given before Exodus 20, the spoken law. I'll put it to you in another way. These things that point to Jesus Christ came before the law. In other words, and put another way, Jesus before the law. Put another way, the lamb before the lion. You see all these things point. Now we're speaking prophetic. You say, wow, that's just from here in Exodus. Yes, that's just from here in Exodus. All these people, the religious leaders, you know, they started to tell Jesus, look, he's doing away with the law. He's not doing away with the law at all. It's the obvious fulfillment of the law. They were blind and deaf leaders. And so he says in verse 23, three times in the year, all your men shall appear before the Lord, the Lord God of Israel. I love this so much. All your men. You know, there's a hardcore question that I ask of myself quite a bit. Where in the world are all the men? Where are they? Where are they? You know, and it's so cool because it's like, you know, it, it's there's beauty behind humility. A lot of men, you know, and I used to be this way. It's like, no, you know, I'm not weak. I'm strong. I got to be like this and like that and whatever. And it's like, you know, you have this pride of life. But then, you know, the Lord will go through great lengths to bring a person to their knees. The same way he did with um, Nebuchadnezzar. Humility. It's a beautiful thing being hum being humble before the Lord. And so what happens, it's like, wow, you know, it's like, you know, the in, 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 in the law here, all your men shall appear before the Lord. I can't say, you know, I, I love this passage because it's like, wow, the men are here. But, you know, take that with a grain of salt, too, because it's kind of mandated. But what about the ones who come willingly? Humbling themselves before the Lord. In verse 24, for I will cast out the nations before you and enlarge your, bo your borders. Neither will any man covet your land. And when you go up to appear before the Lord your God three times in the year, or neither will any man covet your land when you go up 
to appear before the Lord your God three times in the year. You see, it's, it's kind of like a two-way road here. You see, God is very active. He's not just saying, hey, you will do this, you will do this, you will do this, you will do this. It's not just that. He's saying, yeah, you know, there are certain aspects of obedience. Do this. But in response to that, this is what I'm going to do. You know, it's not just like, okay, like robots. Okay, I will do this, 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 this. Because the Lord says, you know, these are pleasing. Do these things. But I'm also going to do something for you. Blessings. He's going to cast out the nations before Israel, before the people. Enlarge their borders. Neither will any man covet your land when you go up to appear before the Lord, your God, three times in the year. The Lord is, I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to cast out the nations before you. The enemies that you have, I'm going to cast them out. I will enlarge your borders. You talk to business people, you know, hey, I'm going to bless your business. Yeah, it's a cutthroat type of environment, but they're not going to touch you. You see, God is very active. His hand of guidance, his hand of guidance, of blessings, of hands of protection. In verse 25, he says, you shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leaven. My sacrifice, he says, you shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leaven. It all belongs to the Lord. His sacrifice with leaven. Don't do it. Don't offer the blood of sacrifice with leaven. And you know, this is symbolic of Jesus Christ. Sinless. He was without sin. And yet crucified. Innocent blood. Remember, leaven is a you know, symbolic for sin. It's a type of sin. You just, you know, if you're baking bread, make the bread, follow the recipe, except take take out the yeast. Leaven is a type of yeast or yeast is a type of leaven, you know, vice versa. Make a, a, a thing of bread, except in the recipe, take out the yeast, see what happens. You're gonna have a big old chip, a big nacho. Well, maybe not a nacho, but a, like a cracker. But then you add the yeast and it, you know, it turns into bread. Because yeast is symbolic for sin. That's why you see like, you know, the uh, um, uh, unleavened bread. That's what's so interesting when, when the Lord was giving uh, 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 Moses the blueprints when he was on the mountain. And he's giving him blueprints and you have the, um, uh, um, the showbread. And it wasn't. It's not unleavened bread. It's bread with leaven. And then, you know, you go further inside the Holy of Holies, and it's like, wow, no leaven. You know what I love about that so much? Is that he'll take, God will take you, he will take me, he will take anybody. But then he'll also clean them up. Look at the woman caught in adultery. She didn't have to clean up her life. And then come to Jesus. She was straight up like, you know, in the act. You know, there's also another guy that was in the act too. But the Bible only talks about her. The religious leaders, they only threw the woman. They didn't talk to the man. They didn't throw the man at his feet either. They threw the woman at his feet. This woman was caught in adultery in the very act. And they take the woman and throw him to Jesus, thinking Jesus in doing the law would stone her or command her to be stoned. 
But he says, okay, let he who is without sin cast the first stone, and they all drop their stones. Then he looks at the woman, woman, where are your accusers? Where are they? Neither do I accuse, neither do I accuse you. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. That's what's so beautiful about the showbread in the blueprints that the Lord was giving to Moses on the mountain in the cloud. The showbread has leaven, but in the Holy of Holies, no leaven. He'll take you as dirty as you are. He'll take anybody. But then don't forget, Jesus Christ cleans his own fish. He'll catch you in any environment, in any condition. He'll catch you if you believe. But then it's like, okay, I believe. Well, then yield to the spirit. Yield to him. Read the word. Yield to him. And then all of a sudden, the Lord will cleanse you. You'll be transformed into a new creation. And then when you read about, you know, the, the blueprints of the Holy of Holies and what, what God gave to Moses, and then you read the book of Hebrews and you see the Holy of Holies, the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. This high priest wants union with you. This high priest wants to go inside of your temple and live inside of your temple. This high priest is the son of the most high God. All these things point to Jesus Christ. He says this, you know, in, uh, uh, you shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leaven. Remember, no sin. No sin in this offering. It's totally a heart condition. It's a condition of the heart. Remember the Holy Spirit skipped Simon in Acts chapter 8. The Holy Spirit fell on the people. The people were only baptized in Jesus. But the Holy Spirit had not fallen and indwelt any of the people. And then the heavies came into town. John and, and Peter, they come into town, lay hands. The Holy Spirit fell on the people except skipped one by the name of Simon. Because something was wrong in his heart. His heart was not right before God. He was bitter. Specifically says he was bitter. I'll turn there. In Acts Ocho. Verse 21. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. That's what Peter told to Simon. Your heart is not kind of interesting because remember Simon Peter. Simon was Peter. But then the Lord changed his name. Cephas. They changed his name to Cephas, which translates into Peter. But so he's speaking to a different Simon. Your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this your wickedness. And pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven. The thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. That's Simon. He believed. He believed in Jesus. He was baptized in the name of Jesus. He walked with, the, with Philip and the people, the converts, the new believers. Except the Holy Spirit. Where was the Holy Spirit? Not with Simon. 
when the Holy Spirit fell on the people, he skipped Simon because he was bound by iniquity. The heart. It's a heart matter. And so look what happens here going back to Exodus 34. He says, nor shall the sacrifice of the feast of the Passover be left until the morning. This is verse 25. Eat all of it. Remember in chapter 12, verse 9, eat the head, the legs, the entrails, eat it all. Everything of the word of God. Remember the word became flesh. Eat all of it. Consume all of it. Take every single jot, every single tittle from every single page and make it come off the pages and into your heart. The good, the bad, and the ugly. No disrespect to the Lord, but there's going to be times when you read the Bible and it blesses your socks off. There's going to be times when you read the Bible and it's going to be like a knife in your heart. There's going to be disgusting things that you read in the Bible, situations that people get involved with. They start to tamper with things that they ought not to be tampering with. Keep eating. Keep feeding. Don't cherry pick. Eat it all. Consume all of him. And you know what? It might bother you. You might have this sin. Bitterness. Wickedness. Whatever. Just like Simon. Whatever it is. It might, there might be something. And then you read a passage, you read a book, you turn the page and you start reading and the Holy Spirit will convict your socks off like crazy. You'll start to sweat. Oh my goodness. It's like a knife in my heart. And then when you're done reading, pause, close your Bible, fall to your knees and say, Lord, forgive me. I've been doing things my way the whole time. Lord, forgive me. I repent before you. And then, you know, in the course of time, the next time, you know, that opportunity, the next time that sin, the next time that thought, you're going to be better equipped. Because it's like, wow, you know what? I repented of that. I don't want to play around with that anymore. Sometimes it's done over and over and over. You taste of the fruit. You, you, you reap what you have sown. You see the pain it's caused to people you love. And it's like, wow, I, I'm so done with that. In some cases, sometimes it's you know too late to make those connections again. But at least there's no more second death. And I don't mean to sound like, you know, wow, you know, that's... Does that mean I can't have anything good here? Does that mean I can't have anything good in this life? Well, number one, you have to remember, we're not for this world. We're not, we're like our, our, our shapes, uh, square pegs in a round world. We don't fit. We don't belong here. The world will hate you. Friendliness with the world is enmity with God. And this, in the last days, it's like there's an antichrist spirit. There's an antichrist spirit 2,000 years ago. Give or take a couple years. But you know, the Antichrist spirit, it just amplifies through the generations. Worse and worse. I shouldn't say 2,000 years ago. From the beginning, from the garden, there was an Antichrist spirit. But you know, what blows me away so much is like these people say, oh, okay, you know, it's, it's like, okay, I've repented. I'm a Christian now. It's like, okay, take me back. Take me back. But no, wait a second. You know, you, you have to reap what you have sown. Sometimes people say, oh, yeah, you know, you, I, I, you know, 
I got to tell you, you know, I used to do it when I used to be very mean and dealt treacherously with my wife. Oh, I'm sorry, baby. You know, I'm sorry. I never reaped what I sown. I said, oh, yeah, let's go out on a date. You know, let's go get some dinner. Let's go see a movie. And she was still hurt. And then I realized in the course of time, you know, I had to I, I had to fall deeper and deeper into my pit, the pit that I dug. And when I absolutely hit rock bottom, the only place I could look was up. It's the only place I could look. And so, you know, the Lord brought restoration in my marriage. And I remember it took it took several years. For my wife to have like a tenderness of heart towards me again. Because I had hurt her. There was that period of time where I had to reap what I had sown. And it wasn't like, okay, you know, it, I had I reap what I had sown for a week. And now I can go back to my drugs and alcohol and all kinds of craziness. It's like, no, you know what? I'm going to be obedient to the Lord. I'm going to endure. And in that time... You know, I became more humble, more humble, more humble. It happens to everybody. Everybody has to reap what they have sown. You know, perfectly, hopefully nobody sows like crazy things. But, you know, there are people who sow crazy things. God can fix anything. So what's so beautiful about this passage, you know, you start to see the, these things. That when You know, in verse 25, he says, Nor shall the sacrifice of the feast of the Passover be left until morning. Consume all of it. Everything, every jot, every tittle, eat it all. The good, the bad, the ugly, no disrespect to the Lord. <clears throat> but there's going to be passages of scripture that really grind away at your heart. And what's so beautiful in the course of time, you know, a year later, two years later, three years later. If it still grinds at your heart, something's wrong. <laughs> It should grind less on your heart. And then in the course of time, maybe another two years, another, you know, it, I, I say these, you know, arbitrarily, it, 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 the Lord's timing, you know, the, it could be five minutes for a person. It could be five years. It could be five decades. It depends on the heart. And you know, what's so beautiful. It's like after, in the course of time, you read these passages that were formerly painful and you read them again with a new mind, a new spirit, a new creation in Christ, a transformation transformed into his image. And it's like, wow, I love these verses. These verses used to kill me. And now they're like life to me. And then you live it. And then the Lord knocks on your heart and says, just like he did to Moses, I want you to go back to Egypt now. I want you to go back and help these people. Just like he did with um, Jonah. Jonah. <laughs> Jonah. <laughs> I want you to go back to Nineveh. And Jonah was like, no way. I hate these people. They've, they've done this. They've done that. I hate these people. I'm going to get on the boat and go the opposite direction. And then he found himself in the belly of the whale. And he cried out to the Lord in the belly of the whale. And the Lord heard him. The whale turns around, takes him back to shore, spits him out. 
And he's like, okay, Lord. Message received. Then he goes to Nineveh. You see, it's so beautiful. How the Lord works. And so in verse 26, the first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring to the house of the Lord your God. Another offering to the Lord. I'm not talking about money. Another offering to the Lord. I mean, I shouldn't say I'm not talking about money because there's passages in scripture where, you know, they did tithe, they did bring these offerings. But number one before that is your heart. Number two before that is obedience. Obedience is better than the fat of rams. You know, once your heart is rendered to the Lord and once you're obedient to him, then it's like, okay, then there are other offerings. That's when, you know, monetarily. That's when Paul goes around to the churches. Hey, we're taking up an offering for the church in Jerusalem. And people would give. He says in verse 26, You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. This is very interesting too. Something that is life-giving and, you know, that is life-giving milk, a mother's milk. Used for harm. Used for harm. You know, it's very important for parents to be conduits of life to children. Your children be conduits of life. Just like, you know, uh, the, the, the woman at the well who was given, you know, uh, living water. Be conduits of that. Conduits of that. Living water. Conduits of the goodness of God. His blessings. It's not like, yeah, you know, I have my baby, you know, and then, you know, I'm going to leave this lady, go with another lady. Yeah, I'm going to pay child support, get with this other lady, have a baby, you know, go with another lady. Man, I have all these babies all over the place. I can't afford child support, so I'm not going to pay. Now I'm, you know, fleeing the law. I'm going to move to another state. Got all these babies all over the place. I want nobody to find me. I'm going to get my name changed. I don't want anybody to find me. I'm going to get a job where they pay me under the table because if I put my social security somewhere, they're going to garnish my wages. They're going to find me. This is, this is the world that we live in today. But it's, you know, let something that's so beautiful and life-giving be used for good, be used for the blessing of your children. And I'm speaking about Jesus Christ, giving them the Lord giving them the word. In verse 27, then the Lord said to Moses, you know, so it, it's, you know, there's more intimacy when the Lord said, be ready in the morning, now come up to the mountain. And so Moses in, in uh, you know, in, in verse two, be ready in the morning. He told him in verse one, cut two tablets. So Moses went back to the mountain. He had to carry the two tablets. Verse five, the Lord descended in the cloud. Remember we talked about that last week. You know, riding on the clouds isn't new to the Lord. It's going to happen again, and every eye and every 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 eye will see. The Lord descended in the clouds, and He was with Moses. And now this law is given the third time with these additives of these very elements that point to Jesus Christ. And then the Lord says to Moses, "Okay, now it's ready." Intimacy that the Lord has with Moses. 
Then the Lord said to Moses in verse 27, write these words for according to the tenor of these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. The tenor of these words. You know how this translates in the Hebrew? The tenor of these words. It translates as the spoken word out of the mouth and two edged. Two edged. The spoken word out of the mouth and two edged. Turn with me really quick. To Revelation 19. Revelation 19. Verse 11. John in his vision. Now I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. This is the coming King. This is our coming King, our coming Lord. And the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses, the saints join with him. In verse 14, it's the saints, the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now, in verse 15, out of his mouth goes a sharp sword. And how this, how this translates is a sharp two-edged sword. Two-edged sword. Very interesting. Out of his mouth, just like we read in Exodus. That with it, he should strike the nations and he himself will rule with the rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You see? Straight up, a prophecy of revelation. What we read in Exodus. Exodus chapter 34. The Lord says, write these words for according to, in verse 27, according to the tenor of these words or the spoken word out of the mouth and to edged. It points to Jesus Christ. I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. In verse 28, so he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. Again, 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water, and he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments, the law now, with the additive of Jesus Christ, the additive of the things that point to Jesus Christ. Verse 29, in closing. <laughs> now it was so when Moses came down from Mount Sinai and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand, hand when he came down from the mountain, <clears throat> That Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. That's right. You know, intimacy with Jesus Christ will change you. Will change you. Intimacy. Will change your very countenance. Change your very nature. You say, well, I used to have problems with XYZ. I used to have problems with ABC. I used to have problems with whatever. But I believe. But I believe. 
And in belief, put some feet to believe. I'll put it another way. Put some obedience to belief. Remember, faith without works is dead. Put another way. Faith without obedience is dead. So it's like, yeah, I believe. So therefore, I can't play around with this stuff anymore. I'm going to abide in Christ. And the Lord is the one who says, abide in me and I in you. Intimacy with Jesus Christ. A one-on-one love relationship. And Moses is different. His face is shining. The skin of his face was shining. The intimacy that you have with Jesus Christ, you will be different. People say, oh yeah, I have intimacy with Jesus Christ. Oh, and then they order another beer. I'll take another one. Yeah, I have intimacy with Jesus Christ. Oh, you know, give me a scotch on the rocks. Stupid. Oh yeah, I have intimacy with Jesus Christ. And they got their their drugs with them. They're doing their sexual stuff. Doesn't work that way. Intimacy with Jesus Christ, you will be different. And you know what else? People will notice you're different. Just as what's happening with Moses here. He says in verse 30, So when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. So they were afraid. They were like, whoa, he's different. He's shining now. He's bright. You know what's so beautiful about the people here? No golden calf this time. No golden calf. You know, Moses was gone for 40 days and 40 nights before. Moses comes down from the mountain and you see the golden calf and all kinds of disgusting behaviors. Here it happens again. Moses is different. He's shining brightly. But the people are different too. Sometimes the pain of past sin, it's an aid for endurance. It's how the Lord works. It's how the Lord works everything for good. I'm not advocating sin. You know, Paul says, you know, does that mean we should sin more so that grace can abound? Don't do that. He says, no way, exclamation point. By no, by no means, no way. That's taking advantage of God's grace. But even still, the pain of past sin can be a tremendous aid to endure. Imagine Paul killing Christians. Or I should say Saul before he came to Christ, killing Christians. Beating them up, having them, dragging them in chains, men, women, little girls, dragging them away, crying. Imagine the tears he's he's seen. Imagine the cries, the shouts he's heard. And then as a Christian, as he sits down and he pens a letter to the church, as he sits down and he has a scribe next to him and he says, hey, can you write this down? And he starts, you know, speaking. The scribe is writing. And I wonder if the scribe had to stop from time to time because Paul would remember the work of his hands, the steps of his feet, the path of his feet. 
and then, you know, compose himself and say, okay, keep writing. That's what I mean when I say the pain of past sin. Sometimes the pain is so palpable. Use it. Use it as an aid to help you. So the next time when your friends say, hey, I got this. This is the best crack from Chiapas, Mexico. Remember the pain. Oh, yeah, I just had a long road trip. I came from, you know, Guadalajara. I picked up this meth. Let's go have some fun tonight. Remember the pain. Remember the grief of a wife. Remember the grief of a kid. Remember the grief of your parents. Remember the work of your hands. Remember the hand of the Lord. Wow, the Lord rescued me from that. The Lord pulled me out of that life of bondage. I'm not going to mess with that stuff anymore. I'm done. So your friend says, yeah, let's go do this meth. Let's go to the strip club. Let's do all these things. You say, no way. Put that stuff down. Let's go to church. You got to hear this message. You got to hear Jesus Christ. You got to hear from his word. We're going to church. You see? And you could take the most prideful of the pride. And the Lord sees. And then that prideful person will, you know, I repent, I repent, I repent. I'm not playing games with the meth anymore. I'm not playing games with the crack anymore. I don't care if it's from Chiapas, Mexico. I'm not doing the strip clubs anymore. I'm not doing this anymore. And the Lord sees. And the heart starts to become right with the Lord. Starts to become more right with the Lord. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit says, yes. This is my temple. Simon didn't have that in Acts 8. It's the beauty of repentance. And you have people who say, oh yeah, once saved, always saved. You don't have to repent. No, repent. The Lord is doing a work in your life. You're going to repent for one thing, and then you're going to keep reading your Bible, and you're going to have to repent of another thing. And then you're going to keep reading your Bible and you're going to have to repent again. And then you're going to finish the Bible, starting Genesis again. And then you're going to forget, oh yeah, I remember. And you're going to have to repent again for the rest of your life. There's beauty behind that. There's beauty associated with that. So he says here in um, verse 31, Then Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned to him. And Moses talked with them. Afterward, so you see, like, the intimacy that Moses had with God, it's now going to the people, a conduit to the people. Afterward, all the children of Israel came near, and he gave them as commandments all that the Lord had spoken with them on Mount Sinai. No more golden calf. No more, no more drunken revelry, loose clothing, sexual activity, none of that. 40 days, 40 nights, Moses come down, comes down the mountain. He comes down with the tablets, and all of a sudden, the people are ready. They can receive it. 
And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil on his face, a covering. He put a covering on his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take off the veil or he would take the veil off until he came out. And he would come out and speak to the children of Israel, whatever he had been commanded. So Moses is a conduit. He's not the water, but he is the cup. He's a vessel and being used of the Lord and used by the Lord. In verse 35, in closing, and whenever the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, And whenever the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' Moses' face shone, so it was still shining brightly. He was different. His countenance was different. Then Moses would put the veil on his face again until he went in to speak with him, until he went in to speak with the Lord. This right here, verse 35, and is an Old Testament example of being the light and also an Old Testament example of a glorified body. You say, whoa, what do you mean? How could that be an Old Testament example of a glorified body? Well, I'll tell you. Turn with me to Luke 20. Luke chapter 20, verse thirty. Luke 20, verse 33. Therefore, this the people, the, the Sadducees, they're asking Jesus a question. They ask about marriage, you know, and, and a, a woman, a husband died. And then, you know, whose wife is she? Like a series of husbands in accordance with the law. In verse 33, they say, therefore, in the resurrection. Remember, it's very important because there were some of the law that didn't believe in the resurrection. So they're trying to trap him. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife does she become? For all seven had her as a wife. This is in accordance with the law. Jesus answered and said to them, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are counted worthy to attain that age and the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage. There's no marriage in our glorified bodies. You know, when we're in our glorified bodies and we're during the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, the Bible teaches us we're going to be kings and priests. I don't know exactly, you know, how the Lord is going to divvy that out, these responsibilities. You might be a priest. You might be a governor. You might be, you know, ruling over a certain area of land. And it's not just for the sake of, oh, yeah, I want to rule. There's a purpose behind it. Like, look at the world as it is today. You look at the Portland mayor. He's like the naked Portland bike ride. They do the, the bike ride. Everybody's naked. And the Portland mayor's like advocating it. Yeah, this is a, a good thing for Portland. So we have a mayor that's crazy. Or I shouldn't say we, that's Portland. But I mean, there's a local mayor that's crazy. But then you look at the governors, governors that are signing certain bills. The governor of Washington about to sign a bill for sex ed for kindergartners. So we have these governors and mayors that are crazy. And then look at all the pastors, crazy, crazy pastors who advocate things that are entirely unbiblical. 
But then Jesus Christ says, you know what? In your glorified body, when the world is given over, like right now the world is under like Satan. But when the world and the kingdoms of the world are given to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, who are those he's going to put in? You know, I'm taking out this pastor, but I'm going to put in this priest. This mayor was taken out, but I'm going to put in this mayor over here. You know, and this governor was taken out and I'm going to put him over here. This president was taken out. I'm going to put him here. This prime minister taken out. This king taken out. And I'm going to replace him with this guy, this girl. I, I shouldn't say that. Glorified bodies are nothing like they are now. Not, nothing like our bodies are now. No more marriage. It's not like we're going to have a glorified body and then, you know, get married with another glorified body and have glorified babies. No, it doesn't work that way. It's a glorified body, period. For a thousand years, that's how it's going to be. The millennial reign of Jesus Christ on this earth. When he returns, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. After the thousand years, Satan will be released again. And Satan's going to go out and trick the world all over again. So it's like we have to fight again. There's like still going to be another fight. And then after that is the lake of fire. That's where Zion is. That's where we go to Zion. The people, the, the second death, that's not for you. That's not for me. That's not for the Christian. Only the first death. So there's like steps. We're, in, we're born in these bodies, in these earthen vessels, in these tents. And then we have a glorified body. In the glorified body, we're going to go into Zion. And what I love so much about Revelation 21. The angel. The angel tells John in the vision. He says in verse 9, come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And then from right there in Revelation 21 verse 9. Come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. You keep reading and you start saying, where in the world is the wife? <laughs> it's so cool. You know where she is? She's one with the bridegroom. The two become one. That's what's so beautiful. So going back to Luke, 9, or Luke 20, those in verse 35, but those who are counted worthy to attain that age and the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, nor can they die anymore, for they are not equal, for they are equal to the angels. It's like, you know, equal to the angels. You see angelic, we're going to see more angels in the book of Acts. But in our glorified bodies, we're equal to the angels and our sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. Jesus Christ is the first fruit of the resurrection. That's from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 23. But even Moses showed that showed in the burning bush passage that the dead are raised when he called the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Because when you remember in our study in Exodus 3, the Lord didn't introduce himself as, you know, I was the God. I was the God, past tense. He said, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses acknowledged the Lord as that. Remember, the Lord says, I am who I am. Not I was. I am who I am. In verse 38, 
For he is not the God of the dead, but of the living. For all live to him. Then some of the scribes answered and said, Teacher, you have spoken well. But after that, they dared not question him anymore. They dared not question. You say, why are we talking about this? The glorified body. Well, you remember how we ended Exodus 34? Moses had a veil. It's almost as if our flesh is a veil. It's almost as if our flesh is a covering for a glorified body. That's why the death of this flesh is a beautiful thing. A veil for wise virgins. Not the foolish virgins. Not every, you know, Joe Schmo. Not every Jane Schmo. For the virgins. And not just any virgin. Virgin. The wise virgin. And underneath these veils, inside of these veils, it's not of this world. We don't even belong here. We don't even belong here. All you have to do is read the prayer of Jesus Christ in John 17, and you'll realize, wow, I don't even belong here. That's what's so beautiful about these Old Testament passages. They point to Jesus Christ as the coming Messiah, and they also give us a very, very hope in the future, a very a present hope for the future. And you know, perilous times will come. We were told perilous times will come. Perilous times will come. And they're going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. But you know what's so beautiful? We can remain ever hopeful. So we'll end our study here. Love you guys. And uh, we'll see you um, in God's time. Love you guys. Bye-bye.